Last Monday, the Oakland Athletics selected Kyler Murray ninth overall in the 2018 first-year MLB player draft. The pick, which usually carries a price tag around $5 million in that slot, ignited a firestorm in the college football media landscape. Within minutes of the selection, columns and think pieces started to flood social media about the major decision looming for Kyler Murray. Would he take the money and run? Or would he turn down the millions for a shot at replacing Baker Mayfield in the fall? Of course, those columns and hot takes didn't amount to much. In a surprising demonstration of the entire sports media not doing their homework, it was revealed about an hour after the pick that Kyler Murray would indeed sign with the A's and play quarterback for Oklahoma in the fall. Now, this isn't going to be an indictment of the college football media landscape. Lee and I will dig into that during the show. However, I want to use this opening salvo as somewhat of a metaphorical passing of the torch, as well as an opportunity to convey how excited I really am. The Baker Mayfield era at Oklahoma has been absolutely astounding, and I think I speak for everyone in this fan base when I say the memories from that era will stick with us for a very long time, and I think the 2017 season in general will be one we're talking about for decades in the future. But it's now time to move on. So let me officially say this. I am so pumped for the Kyler Murray era at OU. Oklahoma has never had an athlete of this caliber at the quarterback position. The amount of wrinkles and tweaks that Lincoln Riley can add to this offense to take advantage of his skill set is frankly making me giddy. We can finally say it now. Kyler Murray will be the starting quarterback for Oklahoma on September 1st against Florida Atlantic. The news came and went last Monday night that I don't think it's properly sunk in for everyone yet. So with that, Lee and I welcome you back. The 2018 season in the Kyler Murray era officially begin now. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Blitz in its teeth. Got it. Free. 30. The man again. Antoine Savage has been the difference maker. 75 yards. After going 63 in the first half, he's also thrown for a touchdown, and he's been a terror on the kickoff team. Give this one to the quarterback, though. Kibble stood right into that blitz, waited as long as he could. Pick number 94, Thomas Uchin was coming at him. Kibble took it right on the chin and threw a perfect pass. Antoine Savage welcomes us into the latest edition of West of Everest. Savage was responsible for three of the five touchdowns the Sooners scored in a 38-37 win over Kansas State back on September 29, 2001. Savage caught a 63-yard touchdown and a 75-yard touchdown. In between both of those scores, he threw a 33-yard touchdown pass to redshirt freshman Hunter Wall. I'm sure all of you Sooner fans remember Hunter Wall. I know I don't. I believe this is the second time we've used Antoine Savage uh, burning Kansas State in one of our intros. The previous year in 2000, Savage had seven catches for 116 yards and a touchdown against the Wildcats. So Antoine Savage, K-State's worst nightmare. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. In case you have forgotten, I'm Lee Benson. You heard Grant at the top of the show with the opening take. We are back. It's been more than a month since our last episode. Thank you for bearing with us, and we feel very fortunate to be back, and hopefully we are better than ever. 
The long football offseason does continue. A lot of things have happened since our last show on May the 9th. Of course, the biggest news, Kyler Murray drafted ninth overall by the Oakland A's. You heard Grant talk about it at the top. I'll have some thoughts coming up here as well. We know Kyler will play for the Sooners this fall, so we shouldn't worry about his availability this year. However, some of you may be worried that Murray's baseball future will negatively impact his football focus and preparation. Got a bit of a tease for you. I do not think you all have anything to worry about. I'll explain later. Plus, Grant and I will take a look at the Sooners' schedule and provide our early thoughts on the first six games of the year. Realize that we have a lot to talk about in the uh, in those first six games and really the, the entire 12-game schedule, so we're going to break it up into multiple shows. First six games today and then the last six games of the season next week. Is Oklahoma going to be favored in each contest this upcoming year? We'll talk about that. All of it is coming up in the show, but before I bring bring back Grant on, I want to remind you that if you're on Facebook and you like the show, please head on over to the West of Everest Facebook page. Give us a like. If you do that, you'll stay up to date on all the West of Everest news, including any updates to future episodes. After you've liked us on Facebook, please head over to iTunes, leave us a rating, leave us a review. So far, we've got more than 20 ratings, all of them of the five-star variety. That means a ton of you are enjoying the show. Grant and I really appreciate it. Plus, one of you even left a review saying this is the best OU podcast out there. Huge compliment. Thank you. If you've got some thoughts on the show and want to leave us a review, please feel free on iTunes. The show also available, of course, on SoundCloud if you prefer that over iTunes. And one final thing, contact us on our Facebook page. Questions, comments, concerns, tips, hot takes, anything Reach out to us on Facebook or email the show, the email address, westofeverest at gmail.com. So with all of that out of the way, let me welcome back Grant. It's been a while since we've done this, Grant, so let's give everybody a great show today. Hopefully you're bringing your A-game. Well, if you heard the opening take, Lee, you know that my A-game has already been broughten and it will continue to be broughten over the course of the episode. So now that I've established that, can we please get on to the talking of football, please? Absolutely. And by the way, Antoine Savage in the opening take, war number six. This is our only show so far of the month of June. That's why Antoine Savage was featured in the opening take. The easiest former OU player now to use for an intro in the month of June is the number one overall draft pick. Something tells me next week, uh, probably be Baker Mayfield in the intro. Anyways, spoilers, Kyler spoilers, just 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 throwing out your shot already. I, I looked at the list of all the Sooners that have wore the number six or the, somewhat recently, and Antoine Savage, Baker Mayfield. There's other ones, but Can you they're going to be tough to find. So I'm actually I'm terrible with, with numbers. I've never done a good job of remembering numbers because it's just really not that relevant or important to me. Who are, who are some of the other guys who wore number six? Can you remember any of them off the top of your head? Um, here we go. Um, let's see. Recently, well, let me sort this by season so it's more recently. Obviously, Mayfield. Um, uh, Levi Draper apparently had number six on defense last year who didn't play because he had a uh, medical redshirt, I believe. Uh, Trey Brown also with number six. Not sure how that – well, probably because Levi Draper didn't play. Obviously, that's last season. Uh, prior to ba- Mayfield, though, uh, Demontre Hurst wore number six for a year and then changed his number. Actually, no, t- two years, Demontre Hurst was number six. Um, 
Cameron Kinney. Remember Cameron Kinney? I think he was a receiver, absolutely right? remember Cameron Kinney. Cameron Kinney used to be the whipping boy of the OU fan base. Does anyone, does everyone remember that, the 09 and, and 2010 <laughs> seasons? Well, because Cameron Kinney was, was like the number one Juco wide receiver coming out, and yeah. everyone was just really excited in 2009 when he came in. He was just he, he had a really rough season his first mm-hmm. year. And then of course by, by the next year in 2010 he was he was a pretty effective player. He had the uh he had the really long touchdown catch in Bedlam of that year, right? Do you remember that game Lee? We you and I just went absolutely insane on that play. Yeah, because Mo- it was him making a big play. Cuz it was Cameron yeah. Kinney. Yeah. But anywho, mm-hmm. I, I did not think that we would get we would have Cameron Kinney deep cuts on this episode. I love it. That's this is why West of Everest is the best OU football podcast. There's not another OU football podcast where you're going to get Cameron Kinney deep cuts like that. I love it. All right, let's move on to Kyler Murray. I'm not going to go over any other number six OU players. This is the the big news, and, and it's recent. I want to apologize. We, we were going to do a uh, an immediate emergency podcast after Murray got drafted last week, but I was busy all last week working because I was in Los Angeles this past weekend, so I didn't have time for it. Hopefully, you're all cool with that. But now it's actually good because we have more information, and we can intelligently discuss Kyler Murray some background. I'm sure all of you understand it by now, but just in case you have not, Murray, last Monday, June the 4th, drafted number nine overall by the A's. Here's something, though, that I think a lot of people already assume has happened, but it technically has not happened yet. Murray actually has not signed his deal. This according to the San Francisco Chronicle, and that was a report on June the 10th, so on Sunday. So according to the Chronicle in San Francisco, Murray actually has not officially signed the deal yet. However, there are reports that the deal is worth nearly $5 million, and this happened after he was drafted on Monday, June 4th. Murray told some Oakland A's beat writers that he will play football this fall, and the A's know about it, and the A's are cool about it. And I also believe that the A's, I'm not sure who it was, but somebody within the A's organization has even made the comment of, hey, we're excited to be Oklahoma fans for one year. It was their, yeah. lead, it was their lead scout who said that. Okay. Their lead scouts. So that's the, the, the background. Murray and will play. And because of a weird NCAA rule where you're allowed to sign professionally in one sport but still retain your amateur status in another sport, that's how Murray's going to be able to do this, which is incredibly bizarre. And it's even more bizarre considering that Murray is such a high draft pick and he's going to sign for an, an exorbitant amount of money uh before we move on to uh we have some sound from lincoln riley before we get to that grant do you have any other quick thoughts on murray before we get to lincoln riley who sat down with dean blevins my boss actually on monday of this week we have some new information on murray from lincoln riley i i I did just want to i did just want to drop one thing there just you know when the news broke that kyler did go ninth overall i i did panic a little bit because i i i was not aware that he's able to sign um, and still play this year. I know, you know, there's weird things. I know if you're, uh, if you're drafted out of high school, you can say no thanks and go to, uh, and go play in college. I, I, I assumed that was his only recourse in this situation. Um, but then of course, an hour later it broke that, no, no, he's cool. He's still going to play. He's still going to play, uh, football. So, uh, I think that's probably why we didn't end up doing that emergency pod because the news broke so quickly that he was indeed going to be playing football and we didn't necessarily need to do an emergency pod. Um, but yeah, I, I, my, my heart's definitely skipped a beat a little bit. When I saw he went ninth overall, I, I honestly, I assumed he, he probably would not be the quarterback for Oklahoma this year. 
Yeah, I I didn't go that far. I didn't think that, oh, man, he's done. He's going to go because I'm, I'm so confident that, uh, well, a lot of it came from Lincoln Riley because Lincoln Riley a week before had talked about how they've discussed it with Kyler. He's sure that Kyler's going to be there for football. So there had to have been some thoughts. And I'm, obviously, Kyler had been just talking with major league teams, I'm sure, for a long time leading up to the draft. Uh, Murray, by the way, he he just he was never available to the media uh, for weeks and weeks and weeks during the baseball season. You just you couldn't talk to him. So you had no idea what was going on. Uh, Lincoln Riley had that one caravan stop in Tulsa where he was talked about it and sounded confident so even though he was taken ninth overall which is an incredible shock I, I thought maybe maybe he'd be a late first round pick I thought it'd probably be more like a second or third round pick if he was drafted uh, going in the going ninth overall was shocking uh, but yes it certainly was nice to find out later on that he talked to those reporters in Oakland and said yes I'm playing football all the mystery was gone there and speaking of Murray playing football, what does Lincoln Riley have to say about that? Now, coach released a statement last week afterwards, after the draft, congratulating Kyler Murray on getting drafted and looking forward to all of his opportunities. But instead of reading you that statement, we can do better here on West of Everest. As I mentioned, my boss, News 9's Dean Blevins, got an exclusive one-on-one -on -one sit down with Lincoln Riley on Monday. Now, Dean asked Riley about Murray's status Listen very closely here. You may just hear some new news. Kyler's here getting ready to play football right now. You know, we're, you know, we've known this deal from, I, I've known this for three years. You know, his family's known this for three years. You know, that's when we first started having conversations. We talked about his football career. We talked about his baseball career. We talked about the different possibilities as far as, uh, you know, potentially being drafted in baseball. How could that affect him uh, on the football field? And, uh, you know, so he's going to play with us this year. He's going to have an option to do whatever he wants to do after that. Uh, and with, with football still being an option as well. So Lincoln Riley, that last bit, that's the gym, saying there's a possibility Murray could not only play football for OU this upcoming season, but there's still a chance he could finish up all of his eligibility and play football in 2019 as well. Grant, what is your reaction to that news? Um, I'm not going to read really much into that at all. Um, it, there's been lots of reports that this is just a one-year deal. I, there's conflicting reports that maybe it is baked into the contract that the A's are only allowing him to play one year. Um, but I, I think you can look at that any in, – in one of of a bunch of different ways, to be honest with you, I mean that could mean that could mean maybe he's he's factoring in the possibility of Kyler having an amazing season and going playing the NFL, or you know something like that. So it doesn't it doesn't automatically necessarily mean that uh, him coming back for for the 2019 season is or is not on the table. I don't know, but it I guess with him saying that it, it might it might certainly be a possibility. All right, so I am going to take the stance of. The thought of 2019 is a bit far-fetched. Uh, I think basically Oklahoma is going to be getting the services of Kyler Murray as a starting quarterback for one season. What have we been saying on this show since we learned Murray was playing baseball in February? Well, we've been saying that there's no reason to worry about Murray's availability this fall. However, 2019 has always been kind of an uncertainty. Well, to me, I think it's pretty clear, even with what Lincoln Riley said, that 2019 is going to be out of the question, and I think that's okay. Now, 
I'll get to the future of Oklahoma quarterbacks here in a bit. But first, I want to address anybody out there who may be worried that Kyler will not be all in on football this year because he's now a multimillionaire in baseball. It's certainly a fair thought to have, I think. I mean, after all, despite what some super confident and I think most likely a little delusional, what some of those people say, multitasking is basically impossible. Insofar, it's impossible to do multiple things at the same time really well. So in a way, Murray will be multitasking this fall. Now, he won't be playing Florida Atlantic on a Saturday and then hopping a plane to go play minor league baseball the next day. Nothing like that. Not that kind of multitasking. But Murray will surely have baseball on his mind during the football season. How could he not? I even expect Murray to continue training for baseball, taking batting practice, maybe shagging fly balls in his spare time, you know, when he's not doing football stuff. That is, though, unless his normal baseball offseason regimen doesn't include any of that stuff, which I'd be kind of surprised because he's always active. I wouldn't be surprised if here and there he, he still worked out and took BP and whatnot. Anyways, the point is it's fair to be concerned about Murray's focus on football. However, here's why I'm not concerned about that. Kyler Murray has been wanting to start for a big-time college football team probably ever since he can remember. He grew up with his dad, Kevin Murray. He was a star quarterback at Texas A&M in the mid-'80s. Can you imagine all the cool stories Kyler has heard from his dad? I mean, being the star quarterback for a big-time college football team, that's going to provide a lot of fun times. So Kyler played quarterback in high school at Allen High in Texas. He never lost a game as a starter. He won three straight state titles at the highest level of Texas high school football. After high school, he had the opportunity to just focus on baseball, go pro in that. After all, he was considered a possible first-round pick at that time. But Murray famously opted out of the 2015 Major League Baseball draft because he wanted to play football and baseball at Texas A&M. He wanted to be the star quarterback, and he also wanted to play baseball as well. But here's the thing. Kyler never got that chance at A&M. I was there in College Station from the beginning. Murray came into camp in 2015 in the fall. He competed with another five-star quarterback, Kyle Allen, for the starting job. Allen won the starting job in camp. After all, Allen already had one year under his belt in the program. But the rumors started flying around College Station that Kevin Sumlin, of course the Aggies coach at the time, had promised Kevin Murray, Kyler's dad, that Kyler would get a decent amount of playing time and well Murray did get some decent playing time in games during 2015 even though Allen was the starter it seemed like A&M had a few packages for Kyler Murray but really the Aggies never fully committed to either guy in the middle of the year A&M benched Kyle Allen and started Kyler Murray for a few games Murray was really good in a win over South Carolina on Halloween but then he struggled the next week against Auburn Didn't look all that great the next week after that against FCS Western Carolina. Kyle Allen was brought back in late in that Western Carolina game, and he was the starter for the rest of the year. And again, I was there for all of it. I was covering Texas A&M at the time, going to all the the Aggie games. And and so I saw Kyle Murray close up wearing, uh, you know, he he wore all black A&M on Halloween, the day where he, I believe, set the A&M freshman record for total yards in a game. Anyways. Murray had basically one shining moment as a starting quarterback at the college level at that point. And still to this day, really, that's it. I mean, and that was that South Carolina win. He wants way more than that. I'm, I'm 
I just I know of it. He's gone through so much. Now, Kevin someone bungled that situation at Texas A&M. Both Murray and Kyle Allen transferred a week apart. You all probably remember that. Third-string quarterback Jake Hubenek, third-string quarterback at the time, Hubenek came out recently and actually said the coaching staff at Texas A&M didn't communicate all that well with the quarterbacks, which no surprise. So as you all know, Murray, of course, transferred to Oklahoma, knowing he would have to sit out a year. But at that time of the transfer, Kyler thought Baker Mayfield had just one year left with the Sooners. So Murray thought, hey, I'll sit out for my one year, then come back and start for the Sooners the rest of the way. But then Baker Mayfield got that extra year of eligibility. So Murray had to wait even longer for another shot to be the starter. Point is, Kyler Murray has been wanting to be the guy forever. He's had to wait way longer than he ever imagined he would. Now, kudos to him for being patient, but he's a competitor. And this year in 2018, he's finally got a clear path to being the number one guy for Oklahoma. Sure, Austin Kendall is there, but Murray knows that he is the starter. And I don't think it's enough to just be the starter for Kyler Murray. He wants to win, and he wants to win it all. That's all he did in high school, and that's all he wants to do in Norman. So that's why I'm not concerned about Kyler Murray's focus this upcoming fall. I think he's going to be razor sharp, locked in the entire time. He wants to make his one year and only year as a big-time starting quarterback. He wants to make it count. So, Grant, that's my long soliloquy about why I'm not worried about Kyler Murray's focus. What do you think? Yeah, Lee, I thought that was I, I thought that was really good. And I think that you are the perfect person to deliver that. Um, I'm really not the type of person who is going to speculate on on another person's like state of mind or anything. So I think you're obviously a lot more qualified to do that, seeing as that you actually have spent time around Kyler Murray, even, you know, as when he was a true freshman at Texas A&M, you did. So I, I think you know, you obviously have a little more credibility in there. Um, I, I certainly have a lot of thoughts about this as it extends to the football program. Um, and I think, and you know, not only for 2018, but what it means for 2019, 2020 going forward, that's where I think this is going to get super interesting. And I think that's probably where I offer more of an expertise. And Lee, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that's the topic that we're moving on to next, correct? Correct. We'll have more on Kyler Murray specifically coming up later on in the hot take of the week segment. Next up, though, the future of the quarterback position at Oklahoma. Like I said, I think both Grant and I are are saying that we think Kyler Murray is going to be here for just 2018 and then be gone and go play baseball. That's what we think. Uh, According to Lincoln Riley, I guess the door is potentially open for for an extra year. Okay, we'll see. But let's say he, he only starts for 2018. And I guess to be fair, Grant, we probably should mention he's not the official starter. Lincoln Riley even reiterated on Monday with Dean. The competition is still ongoing. Austin Kendall is right there as well. So you and I saying he's a starter, maybe I've just said it. I mean, we're just speculating. I I think it would be an absolute shock, especially after this whole baseball thing, if Murray is not the starter, correct? Correct. I I don't, in fact, I'm I'm willing to put like my reputation on the line right now and saying I I guarantee that he's the starter. It's it's not going to be Austin Kendall. Just no way. And I would I would tend to agree. So having said that, Grant, are you worried at all after this upcoming year, after 2018? Are you worried that once again in 2019, the Sooners will likely have to start over again at the quarterback position? All right. So, no, I'm not. And so I, I think actually, you know, in a weird way, and I'm going to argue something that might sound a little weird at face value, but I think Kyler Murray coming and playing one season for the, the longevity health of the program 
I think is probably good. That is the best thing to happen, and that is because of Austin Kendall. Um, so here, here's the deal. Let's let I mean, let's say right now that Kyler Murray comes out and says, "Hey guys, I'm not just playing one year here. I'm playing two for sure. You're gonna have me for 2018 and 2019." What would happen the next day? Austin Kendall would transfer. He'd be gone. Um, and then after that, um, after that, you really are talking about completely starting over at the quarterback position with with you know, two guys now who'd be Tanner Mordecai, who's a true freshman on campus now, and there's Spencer Rattler, who's the 2019 quarterback signee, uh, who's going to be on campus starting next season. You know, those two guys would be by themselves to duke it out for the 2020 job. And I think for the longevity of the program, I I don't think that's the best thing to happen. Um, For the past year or so, I've always assumed that this was going to be, that we were going to get one year of Kyler Murray. Um, and my expectation is that Austin Kendall is going to be the starting quarterback for Oklahoma in 2019 and 2020. And I think that's the, that, that's, that's the best thing for the program, I think. Because you're going to have a guy with... A, because let's, let's say now, right, we're under the assumption now right, that Kyler Murray is probably just going to play one season. So I think that takes Austin Kendall off the... I think that takes him transferring just kind of off the table. Because w- what would be the point of that? Yeah, and, and I tend to agree because as a redshirt sophomore this upcoming season, Kendall still has three years of eligibility left. And uh, real quick to backtrack, uh, I think you said Spencer Rattler, a 2019, I guess you said 2019 signee, signee. He hasn't signed, obviously, yet. So technically, Spencer Rattler could decommit. So he's not officially uh, a, a member of Oklahoma yeah, you're right. yet. You're right. Uh, but I mean, nothing's official until signed it. Anyways, that's uh, just wanted to quickly go back to that. But back to Austin Kendall, though. Uh, again, he's already been in the program now for two years. He's going on his third year in the program. And if I am him and I'm confident in my abilities, I'm just sitting pat, gladly going to be the backup quarterback this fall. Murray is going to be gone. Like, I mean, we both think Murray's going to be gone following 2018, barring something incredibly bizarre happening. Kendall will have a leg up on both Tanner Mordecai and Spencer Rattler. Kendall will have the experience, he'll know the offense, and it's not like the reason that Kendall has not been starting at Oklahoma is because he's losing out to mediocre guys. I mean, obviously, Baker Mayfield, you and I both think is the best quarterback in Oklahoma history, and of course, there's Kyler Murray, who has one extra year of college ball under his belt compared to Kendall, plus he's a former five-star I don't think, player. I don't think he's the best quarterback in Oklahoma history, brother. I think he's the best quarterback in college football history in general, but I just wanted to, to clarify that one second. Before, just you know, before you finish, you know, I said I, I said Oklahoma, and and deep down inside, I I, I really wanted to say ever. So, uh, yeah, I there's plenty of uh, statistics and evidence to back up the claim that Baker Mayfield is the best quarterback ever in the history of college football, and that's even including uh, you know throwing in a guy, which is kind of weird. Like Tim Tebow is kind of considered, in my opinion, is like maybe the best quarterback ever for college. If it's not Mayfield, it's if it's not Mayfield, it's Tebow, and it it. Trust me, everyone. It pains me to say that, but you know we're we're trying not to be hacks here, and that's just yeah. I mean, Tebow was it's, awesome. it's just kind of objectively true. Tebow was obviously just an incredible college quarterback. I mean, he was so okay. So, anyways, yeah, I'm glad you jumped in there. Uh, real quick, more, a little bit more on Kendall, though. Again, you know, it's not like he's losing out to these mediocre guys. I mean, he's not starting Grant because he's had Baker Mayfield in front of him, and now he's got Kyler Murray in front of him, which a lot of other players would probably get beaten out by those two players. So anyways, Kendall's going to have a fantastic chance to win the job in 2019, start for Oklahoma for two seasons if he if he stays on, or he's got the option, I guess, to transfer. If he doesn't win the job, he sits out a year, 
then tries to start for two years at a school that's probably not as good as Oklahoma, which would be a big risk. And it's probably not a risk that's worth taking considering all the other options, the, the, the alternative options. So I think you and I are kind of on the same page. I, I'd be shocked at this point if Austin Kendall was not the starting quarterback in 2019. And then in theory, OU and Lincoln Riley could have him for two years. Yeah. And so basically the, the thought process goes a little like this. Uh, and you and you just touched on it a little bit too. Austin Kendall, of course, if he were to transfer, he would have to sit out this year anyway. If Kyler Murray's the starter, he's going to be the backup this year anyway. I mean, this season, you know, if he actually is the backup, there's probably a good chance that he's going to see quite a bit of playing time this year. So, from a practicality standpoint and a playing time standpoint, uh, staying here and sticking around probably makes sense, as long as you assume that you're going to be the starter in 2019 and 2020 and to me it just doesn't make any sense and of course I don't want to I don't want to assign any motivation to a you know to a 20 21 year old kid you know Austin Kendall but the the calculus just wouldn't make sense otherwise I, I just I I can't imagine that he'd be upset about being handed the keys to a car you know or to a program that at that time, presumably, probably just had their fifth consecutive top 10 recruiting class, has a bunch of guys like, you know, CeeDee Lamb is going to be a junior in that season, you know, younger guys like Trey Sermon, TJ Pledger, kind of too. I mean, there's, he's going to have a lot of weapons to work with. I mean, I mean he's going to have Theo Weiss and RJ Henderson to throw to. Uh, he's, it's just it, it just, it makes the most sense for him to stick around and then, you know, be handed the keys to the car. And, and also just to, just to say, for the program, it's a good thing. You know, you're you're handing the keys to a guy who's been in the program for four and five years, and if he takes that, you know, to fruition, then you'd be handing the keys to Tanner Mordecai or Spencer Rattler, who have been in the program each, you know, two or three years. So I just think for the overall health of the program, Kyler playing for one year weirdly is is best for the program. I think. All right, um, that's it on the quarterbacks for now. Let's move on. More Oklahoma-related news and notes. Again, it's been more than a month since our last podcast, so a lot of things have happened here and there. The Kyler Murray thing, obviously the biggest thing. We've touched on that now for the last, uh, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes or so, whatever it, would, was be, uh, whatever it will be. But Grant, there's, a, there's other Oklahoma uh, news and notes that you want to mention that I want to mention, so I'll kick it over to you for the first bullet point. What have you got for us? Yeah, and, and this was something that we forgot to mention on our last show five weeks ago. It was news that had broken just before that, and and I think it, it had kind of gone under the radar, so we just forgot to mention it. Uh, Jay Hayes, the the graduate transfer from Notre Dame, who had who had recently, I think over the spring game, I think he committed to OU. He did flip his commitment to Georgia, so so OU lost out uh, or, or lost to Georgia twice in a three month span. Uh, so so that and, and that's a that's a development. I'm I'm that I'm not too happy about that one. I thought I thought Jay Hayes. I, I thought that was a very good under the radar pickup. Um, he fits perfectly in what in what Mike Supes wants to do with his three four. If he does play a three four, I mean there he's very multiple. So it kind of depends on you know which side of the bed he rolls out of that day. But uh, Jay Hayes, he he was just another body on the defensive line and a guy who had who had started you know, 14 games for, or 13 games for, for a program like Notre Dame, that's not insignificant. So um, that was going to be a big piece to the puzzle for this upcoming season. It just kind of, it, it stings a little bit uh, that we lost him to Georgia. Also, Lee, uh, uh, some more news that came out. I think this, I think this broke during Lincoln Riley's caravan uh, a couple weeks ago, but Chance Sylvie did have an Achilles injury over the course of the spring. I think he said that it happened early on in the spring, uh, they were hoping that it would heal on its own. That did not happen, and he did have surgery. Uh, Lincoln Riley said that he is 50-50 to play this season. 
Um, that's really all we know about it. We know that it's an Achilles injury. He just got operated on, and he's 50-50 to play this season. Lee, um, as soon as I see uh, Achilles, I, I think it's safe to assume Chance Sylvie will not be playing this season. So let's. I'll touch on both of those. I'll start with Jay Hayes real quick because you mentioned him first. Um, that that was significant to me. That news of him because I've never heard of a grad transfer commit to a school like he did and then decommit and then go somewhere else. And especially having it all happen and I believe like ten days apart. Uh, that was weird to me because one, you'd expect a more mature player, someone who's not seventeen, eighteen years old, like coming out of high school. Uh, you'd expect a grad transfer to be a little more mindful of of his word and giving his word his commitment to a team. It kind of you know once you give that, you're kind of there. So it's surprising that you know somebody that that's that mature would do that and then pull it back. And then number two, it makes you kind of wonder, and I, it makes you wonder what Georgia did or said or whatever to kind of pry him away from Oklahoma in in such a quick fashion. Because again, like I've is that something that happens? I mean, do grad transfers like say, yeah, I'm coming here. And then a week and a half later, they go somewhere else. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever heard that before. Yeah, it's weird. I'd never heard of that either. I was okay. disappointed. Disappointed is the, is, is the right word for it. I, I thought, I thought that was a, that was a really sneaky, good pickup for them, but uh, obviously no more. And then on the chance Sylvie front. Yeah, that news was unfortunate. Um, in my initial way too early defensive starters, I had Sylvie starting at free safety, and that was early on before the spring started, before spring practice began. And after the spring game, when we updated our projections, I moved Sylvie out of the starting lineup because for a lot of the spring, he wasn't playing. He was injured. I mean, we didn't see him obviously play in the spring game. Uh, and I'm kind of with you. If I had to guess right now, I'd say that he does not play and he gets a medical red shirt. Um, the depth in the secondary is very deep. Uh, you and I have talked about the secondary quite a bit. It's it's one of the most talented position groups, I think, on this roster, and it's it's very deep. So there's no need for him to push it this year unless, unless and I'm kind of with you when it comes to Achilles, those are always makes you kind of cringe because it's such an important muscle, such an important, uh, I guess, tendon, I guess, down near the lower part of the leg and, and near your foot and, and your ankle, whatever. I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm probably butchering that but yeah unless sylvie believes he can actually get back to full strength by fall camp and you know unless he really feels like he can push for a starting spot uh he he should definitely be trying to get a medical red shirt and thing is he should know where he stands by now and he obviously he knows his body more than anybody else so i'm kind of with you i it's hard to imagine him being good to go so i i think at this point if i had to bet i would say chance sylvie medical red shirt which is unfortunate yeah i I do i I do want to push back yeah, I, I do want to push back on a little thing you said, and and I, I agree that that depth is not as much of an issue as it would have been uh, in 2017, and depth at corner certainly is a strength of this team. Having that been said, they don't have any depth at safety. That's 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 the that's the position that they can afford to lose someone the least. Um, so now you're looking at you're looking at someone you know Robert Barnes who is who is who is made out of glass. He has to be healthy. Um, Khalil Houghton has got to stay healthy. I mean, he's uh, he's absolutely penciled into one of those safety spots. Um, and then you're you're almost you're. I, I I think Buki is probably going to be a starting safety when they're in base. Uh, but I they 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 could not lose someone at safety. That was big. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you have a see. point. But uh, there's so many young bodies, so many young players that haven't 
even got a whole lot of playing time anyways. You know how easy it would be to move sure. one of these guys, one of these corners to safety? I mean, it, but I, I, yeah, you know, I, you say that, but I think it's I, I think at this level, that's that's a much bigger deal than you're making it out to be, eh. um, especially, uh, you know, Lee, uh, especially in the Mike Stoops defense, where it really does seem like a lot of guys are confused a lot of the time. Um, I, I, I don't feel great about him just putting, you know, a, a freshman or a, or a true freshman or a true sophomore back there at safety if he's never played the position and say, hey, here's, you know, here's an entire book of quantum physics that you have to remember back there. Because that's kind of what it seems like it's like. Did um, um so you, you know the answer to this question? Because uh, I because I don't. Because again, I I didn't. I've said this before on the podcast. I obviously followed Oklahoma for years, but when I was at in College Station and before that, there's a lot of years where really I, I wasn't following the team very closely. And so in 2016, I didn't follow the team that close until towards the end of the year when I moved back to Oklahoma City. Anyways, Jordan Parker. I know he played corner, but did Jordan Parker start his career as a safety? Or no, he he's a corner. corner. He's always been a corner. He's always been a corner. Okay. All right. I wasn't sure. So the, he, the the, the guys we're talking about who are gonna. So if we're if we're assuming that Chance Sylvie will not be available in 2018, the guys that we're talking about who absolutely need to step up. Obviously, Buki. We we knew about him already. Khalil Houghton is going to need to lock down that other safety spot. And then the other safeties or other defensive backs we're talking about who are really going to need to grow up fast is Robert Barnes. He's going to need to find some sort of, you know, miracle, you know, healing solution or something because he's made a glass. And then, you know, true freshman Patrick Fields, guy like that. Um, I know there's another senior safety, Prentice McKinney. He hasn't seen the field once. I, I just I I assume that he's that he, he's never going to see the field. So we're we're really talking Robert Barnes, Patrick Fields, and then I know there was a lot of talk about Justin Broyles taking reps at safety as well. Um, so those three guys, if if Chance Sylvie cannot play this year, those are the three guys that are really going to have to step up. And and even then, you're still not talking about a whole lot of depth. Um, it just makes it, it's it, it's I, I think it's 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 kind of crazy if you think about how how much is hinging on on Buki living up to the hype for this defense to be successful this year. Other news and notes, and back to uh, the defensive line and more bad news on that front in that position group. Defensive tackle Michael Thompson, an incoming true freshman, tweeted out last week that he tore his ACL, and then he went on and deleted the tweet. But um, it would look like, though, based on that, that Michael Thompson will miss 2018 as well. And I know that he's a true freshman. He's never played a down in college football, but this guy was a four-star recruit, big, beefy defensive tackle. I was under the impression that he was going to probably be a decent contributor this upcoming fall, Grant. And this is a – I think this is this is a pretty big loss. So I I, I can't say that because I don't know. We, we don't know what we have with him. Um, and and I, am, I am never – Ever going to expect a freshman defensive lineman to uh, to be a factor in, in his freshman year, especially a summer uh, a summer enrollee. I and, and I know a lot of people have been saying how this is big of a loss. I I think a lot of those people are are a little nuts. There's no he wasn't going to play this year. I don't think he was ever going to play this year unless he's unless he's a Gerald McCoy like talent. He wasn't ever going to play this year. Gerald McCoy didn't even play as a true freshman. Um, it's, yeah, it's but just, that was very back when Oklahoma's it. talent on defense was a lot better than it is now, and they need all the help they yeah, can get on um, the D line. Maybe I, I just I I think um, I think if people were expecting a you know a two hundred ninety five pound true freshman to just show up in the summer, 
um, and be a difference maker in the in the interior of the defensive line. I, I would love to have what you're smoking. Is what I would well, say. Well, it's not like because that's thinking I, he's going to be a because starter. We, because it's just uh, it's because that's body. not something that we have seen. That's not something we've seen in 15 years since Tommy Harris. So, like, I mean, that's where it's it's just so rare. It just doesn't really ever happen. It, we saw, I, I guess, yeah. If you want to make the argument that you know he's a body, we we did see he's not just a body. He's a big in the first, body. In the I mean, first few a, games last year, he's a big body that Oklahoma doesn't doesn't seem to get a whole lot of anymore. They don't get those so, big, well, fat, well, beefy guys that are also athletic. And it seems that that he's how one about of those I, players. How about I'll say this? I, I'm, I'm not happy that he got hurt. I don't think it's a positive thing at all. But I think Chance Sylvie's injury is much more consequential than this one. Much more. See, that's where we both differ. I actually, I'm not, uh, you know, I like Chance Sylvie. Again, I, I thought he was going to be a starter up until we didn't see him in the spring. But, I, again, I'm just, I'm confident in that depth and that position group in the secondary. And, and I just, I like big, especially not just a three-star. I like big four-star defensive tackles i mean because that's that's where this game is going I mean, it's, it's always been that way in, i just in college do, but football. you you have no idea i mean you have no idea if he was if he was going to be ready to play you don't know what he's like physically you don't know i mean yeah that's it, true college football college football is a lot different than you know st louis high school football which is where he's from and i i just i i think if you were expecting him to contribute in his fre- in his true freshman season i i just thought that was unrealistic and i've I've been trying to say that to a lot of OU fans that he it was very unlikely that he was going to contribute in his true freshman season. It, it sucks that he's that he's going to be you know six to nine months now behind schedule uh, because of his torn ACL. Uh, so I, I hope he gets in the weight room and I hope he gets bigger. Um, but uh, I, I wish him all the best and I think it's interesting that he deleted the tweet. I wonder if there's any smoke there or if that's weird. I guess it hasn't been confirmed with any of the coaches if he's hurt. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I'll have to ask Dean. I've been off work. Uh, I'll have to ask Dean if, if he asked Lincoln Riley about that because uh, I know he was interviewing Lincoln Riley. Obviously, it was a cool one-on-one, but News 9, where I work in Oklahoma City, we're doing a Heisman history kind of special that we're going to air later on in the summer with all the, the former Heisman winners and things like that. So that's kind of another part of why we had the interview. So I wonder if that was part of the the question I'll have to ask Dean when I see him uh, next at work tomorrow. Anyways, uh, any other news and notes you want to go over before we get to a Facebook listener question about the uh, Oklahoma schedule? Just one quick little nugget here, Lee. Uh, the 2018 recruiting class has largely showed up to campus. That means the summer enrollees as well. There are still three true freshmen that have not shown up yet, and uh, they are. Kondarius Taylor from Tennessee, Daryl Simpson, the offensive tackle, and then uh, another Oklahoma product, Ron Tatum. Um, all the word uh, from Kondarius Taylor's camp is that it's not looking great, that he may be a Juco product. And so it, it's uh, for 2018, it, it might be time to write off Kondarius Taylor. If there's one position um, that the Sooners can, can you know take a loss, it's certainly at the wide receiver position. The other guys I'm a little more concerned about, mostly Ron Tatum, just because he's a big body on the defensive line. Um, and if he hasn't shown up yet, that's when I start to worry, you know, will he ever show up? Uh, so I, I, I have, you know, read some things that say, you know, maybe not as as much concern with Daryl Simpson and Ron Tatum and just kind of wait and see on those. Uh, but Kondarius Taylor does look like a long shot at this point in time to be uh, in a Sooner uniform in 2018. That's all I got for you, Lee. Now, uh, you know, I, I don't. I don't think that you're a uh, big time recruiting insider and expert. So 
I'm going to have to ask you where you have where you've gotten that information, because I want to make sure that we give credit properly to where you found out that info. Yes, absolutely. So the the Kondarius Taylor and all those I've I've uh, read on the Brainiacs. You guys can go and read the Brainiacs. That's all their free stuff. Okay, I like that website. They're good. They're good guys. So yes, I I yes I will I will only say information that I read for free online. Um, and so if there's if there's any worry about that, um, there is information that is privileged that will not be said here. It is only free information available to everyone that will be said here. <laughs> All right, let's uh, move on to a uh, a game by game look at Oklahoma's schedule, and we'll kind of mix in. Uh, part of this will be the fact, obviously, when we go over each each of these first six games, we know the kickoff times for three of them, which was uh, which was news that came out a, a couple weeks ago. So, uh, to get into the segment, Grant, we will read a comment that included some questions from. A listener from our Facebook page, the West of Everest Facebook page, this is from Shane. Shane writes, while the non-conference schedule is respectable with Florida Atlantic and Army both having great seasons last year and including the wild card that is UCLA and Chip Kelly, there's no juggernaut like last year's Ohio State. Also considering there is no obvious powerhouse team in the Big 12 with a ton of returning experience from last year, what are the realistic expectations for Oklahoma in 2018? I don't think many OU fans expect them to return to the playoffs in their first season after Baker Mayfield. But when you dive deep into the schedule, is it unrealistic for this team to possibly win every game? Won't they be favored in every game on the schedule? So again, that is from Shane from the West of Everett Facebook page. Thank you, Shane, for commenting and asking questions. So uh, we'll, we'll kind of hit... Uh, first off, I guess let's look at the, the first question. Uh, is it unrealistic for this team to possibly win every game? Well, at Oklahoma, Grant, it's it's never unrealistic for Oklahoma to win every game. Uh, there's always that chance. Obviously, it hasn't happened since 2000 when they ran the table. But sure, I mean, it's possible they can win every game. Uh, and the question of won't they be favored in every game on the schedule, we'll get to that as we go game by game starting with Florida Atlantic. So, Grant, are you ready to go through each one of these games? I know I have a lot of notes on it. How, how, do you, uh, how about you? Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> I was born ready. I said I, I love. I love this stuff. Okay. All right, so let's go game by game. Uh, first game, September 1st, Florida Atlantic in town, an 11 a.m. kickoff on Fox. Right now, the line's already out, so we don't have to guess whether or not Oklahoma's going to be favored. I mean, we, we knew they would be favored, obviously, but – the question would be how, by how much. Right now, the Sooners are three touchdown favorites over Florida Atlantic, a 21-point favorite. Uh, I'll, I'll start with my thoughts on this one. Um, the Owls, of course, with Lane Kiffin coming into his second year, went 11-3 and three in 2017. Uh, in, in Kiffin's first year last season, they went 11-3. and three. Las Vegas has set the Owls over under win total at nine this year. So obviously they play in Conference USA, so the schedule is not that difficult. So uh, there's a definitely a good chance that they could win nine or more games. I mean, they won 11 last year. Uh, and again, the over under totals um, are based off of just the regular season. It does not include any conference championship games, does not include any bowl games or playoff games. Uh, some Florida Atlantic notes real quick. Uh, five starters back on offense from what I can tell. The Owls will have to find a new quarterback, though. And this is what's kind of interesting. And you probably have some thoughts on this, too, as, as well, Grant. But uh, I, this will be kind of fun. Remember last year? 
because uh, you know last year obviously we talked about OU a lot, but we also talked about the college football landscape, uh, especially at the top ten teams. We always gave our top ten and whatnot, and of course Wisconsin was always up there. But remember last year, Grant, how we always ripped the Badgers, saying that they had had not faced any good offenses. Remember that? Yes. <laughs> and we always said, I think I think you brought this up the first time that we kind of hit off this here and there as the weeks continued. The best offense they faced up until a certain point, up until like super late in the year, was Florida Atlantic, and that was in week two. But then we also pointed out later on that Florida Atlantic's offense at that time wasn't even as, as good as it could have been because the Owls had not figured out the quarterback situation. So the Wisconsin faced Florida Atlantic under Lane Kiffin's tutelage in week two, but the offense wasn't anywhere near its strength as it was late in the year where they were putting up like 40 and 50 a game easily. So in week four, a guy named Jason Driscoll took over at quarterback for Florida Atlantic. And after that, the offense was awesome under Kiffin. Get this stat. Starting in week four of last season, the Owls scored more than 40 points in seven of their final 10 games. Anyways, that guy, Driscoll, the quarterback, who seemingly was the key to the offense becoming very good the rest of the season, he was supposed to be available for this upcoming year. He had one year of eligibility left, but he actually quit in January. He just quit football. He said he was just he fulfilled his goal of being a starting quarterback at the D1 level, and he doesn't plan on playing the NFL, and instead of playing one more year, he he just he walked away from the team. So Oklahoma catches a break, perhaps, in week one because Kiffin does not have an experienced quarterback returning. Instead, it's going to be Florida State transfer DeAndre Johnson or a familiar name around here, Chris Robison. Is it Robison or Robison? I can't remember. Do you remember? It's Rob. It's I think it's Robison. I think it's Robison, yeah. So those are my quick notes, mainly on, on Florida Atlantic's quarterback situation. I think that's uh, the whole situation is – kind of interesting and again I think Oklahoma might have caught a break that uh, a, a returning quarterback could have been starting in this game but instead it's going to be a, a, a brand new guy yeah you know I, I think they did catch a break and I, and I, I, I want to comment on one thing real quick before I dive into Florida Atlantic um, the OU schedule this year from a non-conference perspective is perfect this is what they should strive to do every single year they should have uh, two mid-majors who are who are a threat to go to a bowl game but are not really a threat to beat you. And you should have kind of a squishy Power 5 team, exactly like UCLA that is capable of going to a bowl game. This is what their non-conference schedule should be every single year. The The playoff committee clearly only values wins with te- uh, over teams with a winning record. Um, so it, there's, just re- there's really no upside to going to Columbus to play Ohio State anymore under this uh, current format. So I, I wanted to say that, that this is, this is the perfect non-conference schedule. Now on to the next thing. You're, you're right that they, they caught a big you know break with Driscoll not being there, Lee, because this game scares the crap out of me. This is a game that not a lot of people are talking about. FAU is not is not a pushover at all. They were they were playing you know like a top ten team in the country at the end of last year, and I'm I'm being dead serious. So you know it's football season when I bring out my S and P numbers. I really love them. Lee, oh, I, what would I, you guess? I knew you'd have them. I knew you'd have the S and P yep. numbers. And this is a this is a Florida Atlantic team that is returning guys who had success. They, I mean, they they do not have an insig- in, insignificant number of guys coming back. Um, Lee, if 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 you could guess, well, what do you? Where would you guess Florida Atlantic ended in S and P overall last year at the end of the season? Where do you think they were in the very final rankings? Oh, I have some vague memories of you. How was it? No, no. It, you know what? It was UCF where you kept 
ranking in the top 10 until they they lost or something like that so okay but so this is not UCF this is Florida Atlantic so obviously the competition is not nearly as strong as even Ad- UCF's competition. adjusted this is all adjusted for competition mind you sure uh, okay, so overall S and P for Florida Atlantic at the end of the year. I, I mean, I'd say they're definitely. I'd say they're 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 definitely the top twenty five. Is that? Uh, I'll, you know, yeah, I'll, you're right. I'll, but I'll just I'll I'll say that they're twenty five, the top twenty five team. Okay, no, they finished eleventh, two spots behind Oklahoma. Eleventh, eleventh. They killed everybody. They killed everybody in the second half of the season like they did what power five teams like Oklahoma do to crappy group of five teams in the second half of the year that's that's what they did to everybody uh they had the they had the sixth ranked uh S&P offense and they were 52nd on defense um now I think they I I think they have quite a bit uh I think they have a little more turnover on defense um than they do on offense but this is this is certainly not a layup that I'm assuming that the athletic department assumed it would be when they scheduled the game this is this is absolutely one of the five best mid-majors in the country and uh, arguably outside of central florida maybe the best um so this could either be um a really good situation where they play florida atlantic they beat florida atlantic and it's just the gift that kind of keeps on giving throughout the rest of the year because florida atlantic's going to be a really good team next year they're they're, they won 11 games last year they're going to get close to that again so Um, i uh I'm going to say well, something. Well, basically, what I'm saying is, is this going to be a TCU and BYU situation, Lee? And I'm, it's just, I'm, I am programmed to assume that it, it could be. So, uh, back to the, you, you mentioned something in there about turnover on defense. Well, according to this college football magazine that I picked up at the Los Angeles airport while I was waiting for a flight, Lindy's Sports, which I honestly have never heard of before, but they have some decent writers in here, and they have previews on every team. Granted, I, these are always interesting magazines because they come out this time of year in June where the season doesn't start for another two months, and they have all this information that's going to, at times, change in two, two and a half months before the season actually kicks off. Anyways, the point, point is I'm going to get some of my information from this magazine, and in this magazine, it says that Florida Atlantic on defense has almost everybody back on they have 10 starters back on defense. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, I mean, they were 52nd S&P defense. I don't have the breakdown of what they were, you know, rushing, passing. I'll, I'll get that later. Um, well, I'm sure we'll dive very deep into that when we're previewing Florida Atlantic for, for real in, in, in a couple of months. Yeah, Lee, th- this, is, this is not a layup. Florida Atlantic is, is very, very likely a better team than UCLA, who will be coming in the next week. And I'm, I'm not saying that lightly. I'm dead serious. Florida Atlantic is a better team than UCLA, probably. So, and I, and I, think, I think the people, uh, a lot of the, the fans and the people listening to this podcast are going to be prepared for it. And I'm not, say, I'm not saying that Oklahoma is, is not going to blow out Florida Atlantic, is not going to play well or anything like that. I'm just saying Florida Atlantic is a really good team. And it's not the Florida Atlantic you think is coming in. It's it's it's, it's a much better team that's coming in. Uh, it makes me wonder if uh, Driscoll, the quarterback that had the offense humming all of last year whenever they were killing everyone, as you said, so eloquently a bit ago, it makes me wonder if he was still the quarterback, if this line right now, instead of 21 points, if it would be something like, you know, f- 14 points. I mean, maybe not. I mean, that's that's a full touchdown. That's... That's saying a lot for a college kid. You know, may, maybe instead of 21, it would be something like 18 or 17 or something like that. Because I sure, tw- sure. I mean, th- 21's I, – I agree. I think Fort Atlantic's, again, going to be a, a really good team. 
and they're they're going to be a, a, a dangerous team. And especially, I mean, both teams will be having new starting quarterbacks. Twenty uh, one's a lot right now to 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 think that Oklahoma's going to cover at this point. We'll see where it goes. Um, uh, defensively, real quick, Florida Atlantic allowed five point two yards per play last year. Granted, that was Conference USA that they didn't face the best offenses so the defense was fine uh the offense is obviously the strength of the team uh and Devin Singletary their running back I guess he won Conference USA MVP last season he's he back, back by the way he's he, he's still on the team he's back and so, so they have a really good we, running back. you know I, I I did watch a little FAU in the second half of the season last year the the Driscoll guy never he I never really noticed him playing he was certainly not the focal point of the offense the sing, Singletary guy most certainly this is a team that runs the ball and this is a team that's still going to run the ball. And so when you mention a guy like DeAndre Johnson, who's a transfer from Florida State, who is in all likelihood a more talented player than, than Jeff Driscoll, this, is, this game does have the makings of a surprise, everybody. And that's all I'm saying. Or, I mean, Chris Robison. I mean, how crazy would that be if he, go, he starts his first, first ever college uh, game I, against his former team who was there for like yeah. two, two minutes? Until he got kicked it'd be, off. It'd be a good story for sure. I, I would feel much more confident if it was Chris Robinson starting than the uh, than DeAndre Johnson. Um, you know, th- I mean, those are two highly highly recruited, highly ranked quarterbacks that they could throw out there. I mean, it's, they're not mincemeat, and this is this is a team that can run the ball. They do they do uh, have to replace, I think, everyone on the offensive line, though, if I'm not mistaken, and that that could be a, a really big deal. But anyway, so but the the main point I'm saying is that the last time we saw Oklahoma on the field, they were getting absolutely shredded in the run game, and I I you know they're going to have some personnel changes, of course, you know for this first game, you know they're they're moving the linebackers around a little bit, and of course they're you know some guys in the trenches are going to be a year older too, but this is a Florida Atlanta team that can run the ball with anybody, and this is an Oklahoma team that has really you know over the past few years has has proven that when they are spread out and ran against, teams can have a whole lot of success, and that's exactly what Florida Atlantic does. And it's the first game of the season. It's an 11 a.m. kick. Weird stuff can happen. So that's it's just, you know, I, I it is what it is. Hopefully it's one of those things where, you know, Oklahoma is still so stout in the trenches that it doesn't really matter. Um, that certainly wasn't the case, you know, in, in 2005 and 2009. And I know that was, you know, over a decade ago. Uh, with with TCU and and the BYU debacles, but and also you know a couple of years ago with Houston, I, I'd say this FAU team is is very comparable to that Houston team from a couple of years ago. They're they're probably very similar in quality. Offensive coordinator for FAU, Charlie Weiss's kid. You heard about this? Yeah, I remember that. He's twenty four, or he's gonna be. He's only he's he's well he's way younger than both of us, and we're not even that old. I mean, he's twenty four. Are you kidding me? That's yeah, incredible. That's, he must be. He must be really sharp. He probably is. Yeah, I mean, he's got to be. Uh, I've, I've heard. I uh, never mind. Uh, no need to. Let's, let's move along. on. Uh, let's, r- real quick before we move on. on to the next game, uh, and just how about the? You mentioned the 11 a.m. start time. Weird things can happen. 11 a.m. I looked at that date, September 1st, week one. Just uh, you know, I know Lincoln Riley's not not thrilled about all these early kickoffs. Uh, I was curious to see what else is going on that day. So you got 11 a.m. FAU and OU on Fox because it's it's a Fox game. So after the OU FAU game on Fox is North Carolina at Cal at three o'clock. So that's not that big of a matchup. It makes you wonder, okay, why wouldn't they want to put OU FAU 
in the mid-afternoon, which is it seems like more of a uh, is mid-afternoon games aren't they considered better than eleven a.m. kicks? Eleven a.m. kicks are national kickoffs. The mid-afternoon yeah. games are regional kickoffs. Okay, yeah, that's 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 the point. So that's right. Yeah. Um, where you get into it, and so Fox, I'm I'm assuming I I'm assuming Fox probably has a primetime game that night, which, which I I'm ha- assuming yep, is probably a better matchup. Yeah. Well, it's it's not a better matchup at all, but when I tell you the game, you're gonna you're gonna know exactly why they picked this game as an, as the primetime game. So here's the game at on Fox at seven o'clock on September the first, Akron at nebraska wow that's actually which should have been the 11 a.m kick they could still get scott Frost's first game nationally at 11 a.m fau ou need that should be the primetime game here with lane kiffin uh, lincoln riley kyler murray i mean i don't know i don't know why they yeah i agree that's that's an odd choice but you know hey i i we can we can talk for hours about about kickoff times but you know and we're going to do it the, right now. So I'm just kidding. Are we going to do it? Yeah. No. I'm just saying, you know, kickoff times, and I, I understand why people are upset about them. Kickoff times suck because of the Big 12. That is why. It is the Big 12's fault. Hmm. Period. And until and, and until they, and, and until the, the TV contract has worked out better, this stuff is going to continue to happen. Just deal with it. I'm sorry. You know, especially for the people who have to go to the games. I know it sucks. Um, and I, especially for recruiting, I know it sucks because you can't bring in, you can't have massive recruiting weekends if a game starts at 11 or at noon. Um, mm-hmm. Things that so Riley yeah, that, referenced. I mean, yes, yes. And it's, it's tough, and it's, but, you know, it, it's, it's the Big 12's fault. And they, Oklahoma needs to, they, they absolutely need to, uh, need to use more of their leverage in this conference because the, the, the TV deal in this conference is, is, is not ideal. Next up is UCLA, and before we get to the meat of that matchup, let's just get this one out of the way too, just on the same uh, topic as the, the kickoff times. This one's set to kick off at noon on September the 8th, and so I looked up the other Fox games that day. This, oh, this is a Fox game again, by the way, so back-to-back weeks on Fox. So the 4 o'clock kickoff after OU-UCLA, which, I, as you mentioned, is a regional kickoff. It's going to be the Iowa State-Iowa game. So, okay. And then the primetime matchup on Fox on September the 8th is USC at Stanford at 7.30. So, still, I mean, I, I, obviously you're not going to start USC-Stanford at noon Central because that's 10 a.m. Pacific. So, it's almost like you had to start the OU game at noon. Yeah, so. and that's just how it works. Yep. It's just that the, a lot of the times when they're playing at 11 and at noon – a lot of the times the networks don't even have a chance. It's because that's the last game that falls to them. The Big 12 like doesn't they they get like last pick with stuff. Fox, they all they get the last pick. So they they always take, you know, they have their own little tables and they have their own methodologies there. Um, a lot of the times when it, a lot of the times they're just falling in these slots. It's not nobody is going out there and saying, "Oh, we want to screw over Oklahoma." It's just it's the the TV deals are bad. That is why these suck. Period. All right, so on to the UCLA-Oklahoma matchup. Uh, once again, uh, Oklahoma in this matchup should be favored by how much. There's no telling. We'll, we'll have to see what happens in week one for each team. Uh, to me, Grant, the most interesting thing about this OU-UCLA game at this time is where, I mean, aside from Chip Kelly, obviously that's super interesting, but where does UCLA go at quarterback? Uh, former Michigan QB Wilton Spate 
is a grad transfer and will be available immediately this fall. I just it's I can't imagine him as a Chip Kelly quarterback because Spate kind of looks like Joe Flacco, like he's super big, he's kind of unathletic and for the most part not very good. And you know, Flacco, he's been he's been bad. He's been bad since his Super Bowl run where he just was unconscious and got Okay, paid. okay. Wilton Wilton Spate and Joe Flacco are totally different players. Flacco has absolutely nothing to do with this conversation or this discussion. I'm just talking the way they look on the field, body type. They're big, tall guys. They're not. They're not very mobile. They don't. Yeah, move they're pro style well. quarterbacks. Wilton, Wilton Spate is your is is about as prototypical of a pro style quarterback. Like if if you could say, give me the prototype. It's basically Wilson Spate. He's long, lengthy, tall, white, and <laughs> and slow. <laughs> I, I, you know. Yeah, but he's just he's he's not very good and. How much of that was because Michigan's offense was a dumpster fire? Maybe a decent amount. You know, may, you know, maybe he could find a way to to be a guy with Chip Kelly. But knowing Chip Kelly's style of offense, I mean, I suppose he had Nick Foles in the NFL, and Nick Foles isn't particularly a. Uh, I mean, he's got a little bit of mobility, but he's more of a statue than anything. Uh, but anyways, aside from Spate, they got uh, the guy who backed up Rosen, Josh Rosen, last year. Name is uh, Devin Modster, Modster. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. And then they also have. Uh, Incoming freshman Dorian Thompson Robinson, who rivals ranked as the second best quarterback in the 2018 class, and this uh, this magazine that I, I picked up is predicting that that guy Thompson Robinson ends up being the starter. So that's a quarterback situation. What are your initial thoughts on this matchup, Grant? Well, my I I think this game is interesting because of Chip Kelly. Um, I, I think this is one of those games where I think UCLA is going to be so bad on defense. Um, it's going to be one of those games I think OU is going to probably be able to do whatever the hell they want in it, just in the trenches. And UCLA had like a historically bad run defense in the history of college football last year, and I and I know they they don't really return anybody, so that's probably a good thing for them on defense. But um, yeah, UCLA is in a weird they is in a half weird of their right uh, half of their defense back starting starters. Yeah, yeah, and so um, you know I haven't heard a whole lot of talk about UCLA since since Chip Kelly has gotten there. I'm I think this is very curious. I, I'm very curious to see how this turns out because I thought. Um, instantly you know when the hire was made it was a great hire I thought you know in two or three years UCLA is going to be the king in, in Los Angeles especially if Clay Helton is still at USC um, but I don't know I, I, I honestly have not heard a lot about Chip Kelly and and how his progress at UCLA up to this point and also you know hey I, I've I've read things you know about how uh, over the, his time in the NFL the players hate him and you know stuff like that rumors and whatnot so we'll see I don't know I, I think there is some possibility that the Chip Kelly UCLA experience uh, experiment might be a failure um, we'll see but I, I think it's an interesting game from that perspective um, we'll see it's one of those games that it's going to be you know a lot more scary and a lot more interesting if FAU gives OU all they can handle um, but we'll see. I, I think the the Chip Kelly dynamic is absolutely the most interesting part of the game. Um, but other than that, though, they they, they just have so much turnover um, on on offense, and you know their defense was so bad last year. It's it's really kind of hard to see them as 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 much of a threat as FAU is. To be honest with you, yeah, it's nice for the Sooners that UCLA plays a real team in Week One. Uh, UCLA is at home against Cincinnati, so. That'll give OU some decent film on Chip, on Chip Kelly's system at UCLA. I mean, that's you got Lane Kiffin and a good Florida Atlantic offense in week one. Then you got a Chip Kelly ran offense in week two. I mean, Mike Stoops and company is going to be challenged immediately. Uh, so, again, it's, it's nice that UCLA is not playing some FCS team in week one. So at least they're going to have to run some real stuff against Cincinnati to, to try to beat the 
the Bearcats. So that's that's a good setup, uh, a, a good part of it. And to your point earlier, Grant, that helps you, uh, your cause when you said that Florida Atlantic is, I think, you, did you say they're going to be better than UCLA? Or did you say they could very well yeah, be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, as as of now, without us seeing a game played in 2018, it's um, uh, there's I don't think there's any objective observer or analyst who would say that UCLA is going to be a better team than FAU. No way. Well, UCLA's over under currently is just five wins. A Chip Kelly team over under only five wins. Wow. I mean this this Bruins team it may not be very good uh, I mean Jim Moore I he was a pretty poor coach uh, so I mean even with a roster like this uh, the, the roster I don't think is very talented so um, but at the same time oh, though, they recruited well they recruited yeah. well under Mora there's they got some players I mean yeah they got Josh Rosen I know they had uh, I can't they had another guy go but it seemed like Jim Moore just didn't get along very well with all of his best players so it's just it was weird and but still, five wins for a Chip Kelly team where he's had so much success in college, that's, that's kind of crazy. It's surprising. Uh, next up for Oklahoma, Iowa State. So I guess I, we're looking ahead. I mean, it's, it's tough to really say, hey, OU's going to win this game. We're not doing that right now. We're just kind of giving you a little bit of overview on each one of these teams right now in the middle of June. So if, if you're hoping for us to say, oh, yeah, Oklahoma, they're going to win this game 37 to 28. Like, I mean, that's ridiculous. We can't do that right now. Uh, anyways, moving on to uh, Oklahoma's first road contest at Iowa State. Again, Oklahoma expect should be favored, even though they're on the road here, Grant. And this is the big time revenge game. Here we go. Going. Yeah, to I'm going to be at this game for sure. This is only it's only about a three hour drive for me from the Twin Cities, so I'll be at this game almost for certain. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah, you know, hey, I I I, I think Iowa State. I, I think. Um, you know the, the strength of their team this upcoming season is obviously going to be their defense. I, I know they return a, a decent amount of guys from what was probably the third best defense in the Big Twelve last year, and was was probably a top twenty five defense in the country last year, maybe a top twenty defense. Um, so Iowa State's going to be able I don't know to, if I go uh, that far. I I'd, I'd say I they maybe. were. I'd I say they were maybe. easily. Maybe, maybe I'd say easily they were a top forty defense easily. They at they. They they didn't shut down, but they handled that really good Memphis offense yeah. in the in the bowl game, and that that Memphis offense was probably a top ten offense in college football. Yeah, um, and they 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 had some success against good offensive teams for sure. But anyway, um, they're they're a team that I, I don't. It's it, you're right. It's hard to go in t- until we see actually tape on them because I know Kyle Kemp is back, the guy who shredded the Sooners in Norman. Um, they they do lose uh, Alan Lazard and um, uh, the other. I, I can't. Murdoch, I think is his name. Uh, they're they're not going to be as dynamic down the field unless they got some guys that I that we don't know about. Um, I I think them losing Alan Lazard is is a is a huge loss for their def- or for their offense. Um, it, it's an offense that's going to just that's almost going to uh, exclusively rely on David Montgomery. I would guess um, who is back, but you know, Iowa State is is going to be another bowl team. I don't know how much of a step forward they're going to take, um, but I think I, I think they're almost. I, I'd say they're pretty likely to. Uh, to do exactly what they did last year, which is go seven and five and just look like a, a, a generally salty, solid team. Yeah, I mean David Montgomery uh, is is awesome. I mean he was one of the best running backs in college football se- last year. He, he's the second best back in the Big Twelve behind Rodney. Yeah, and uh, the offensive line for Iowa State, all of them are back minus the center. So, I mean, that's a very important position, but uh, the entire line for the most part is still intact. You mentioned Kyle Kempt is back. 
Uh, you know, they still have Matt Campbell. Matt Campbell, clearly really good coach. They still have that defensive coordinator, John Heacock, who I agree with you. He, he turned a bunch of three and probably two-star players into the third-best defense in the Big 12 behind Texas and TCU, which is ridiculous. Uh, big hit, though, on that defense, Joel Lanning. He is gone, the middle linebacker slash quarterback when they're playing Oklahoma and other teams here and there. So that that hurts. I mean, Lanning I, was really good, and, and who knows how much – of a of a quarterback of the defense he really was I mean I'm gonna guess probably a lot uh he probably got guys in the right position a lot of the times and he was able to move side to side and make a lot of plays um you know Iowa State that's that's scary I mean uh, you know they play Iowa the week before they play Oklahoma the Iowa game is in Iowa City uh Iowa State hasn't beaten Iowa since 2014 but it's nice that Oklahoma I mean, you know, again, it's kind of even, though, because oh, it's not like OU plays a pushover. I mean, OU's got UCLA before this game. So, I mean, both teams play a legitimate team before they play each other. Um, you know, you, you, you got to think Iowa State beats Iowa this year, man. I mean, if not for Jacob Park throwing a horrible pick late in the game last year, they, they probably do beat Iowa. Um, you know, Park actually did play pretty well in that game. But, you know, it's, it seemed like he was kind of a – a cancer on that team later on and of course the first time he wasn't with the team was whenever they played Oklahoma and Iowa State went on the run but I mean I this on the road it's another early 11 it's 11 a.m kick right Grant so I mean it's who knows what's gonna happen in this one this is a for the third week in a row Oklahoma's playing a very interesting game let me let me go on the record for saying though I like 11 a.m road games I prefer 11 a.m road games well, so does Iowa State any day last year. <laughs> Same so, time they played. Yeah, OU I'm just last saying. Year. No, on 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 the road, on the road, I I don't I don't want anything to do with 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 the night on the road ever. Um, so I'm just saying. I, I'm I'm glad that if they that they're that they're going to Iowa State, which is not an easy place to play. Lee, you and I have been there. That place is loud. Um, yeah, it's uh, you know, I, I'm I'm glad they don't have to play there at night. Is all I'm saying. So that that that's a break. I think. Um, for there, it, you know, Iowa State's gonna is gonna be a solid team this year. I don't think they're gonna be world beaters. I don't I don't know if they're gonna be that dynamic on offense, but they're probably gonna play really solid defense, and they're gonna they're not gonna beat themselves. Um, you know, it, it, it's a tough game. And anytime you have to go on the road to play a good team in September, it's always gonna be a tough game. And you know, it, it's I I'd like to say it's better to get these out of the way. But the the truth is in college football that's not the case. It is much better to to have these games in the in the back half of the season. But you know, we'll we'll see what happens. Over under six and a half wins for Iowa State. So you said they might be one of those again, just seven and five type teams. And Vegas kind of has them right there, right around there for this upcoming year. Uh, and you kind of touched well, just because I mean I. I think that's their ceiling. I, I don't. I don't think as a program they can really do much. You know, much better than seven and five and, and eight and four. I think that'd be their ceiling. You know, and then you know once every four or five years, you know, try to win nine or ten games. That would be their ceiling as a program. Mm-hmm. And you you briefly touched on this, I think, towards the beginning before we talked about Florida Atlantic about the way Oklahoma's non conference schedule is set up. Now we're to the third game. We're we're including now. You know, in the first three weeks, Oklahoma's already got their first Big Twelve game. I had this question for you. Do you think this is is this one of the toughest three game stretches to open a season for Oklahoma in recent memory? Because they don't they don't play a yeah. cupcake. They don't play and the and the Army game after Iowa State is not a they're not a cupcake. They're no. gonna have to play the freaking the freaking triple option. They're probably gonna give up three hundred and fifty yards on the ground that game. I mean, so 
for like I think again I think you kind of touched on this earlier. I mean, Florida Atlantic was probably thought to be the cupcake in this bunch when they when they scheduled them, and you even Iowa State because I mean obviously you don't really have any control over when you play the conference schedule, but I mean Iowa State's hasn't been that great, but both of those programs are in the best shape they've been in years. And then on to the next game, you got Army, who again, yeah, ten and three last year. I mean, while Oklahoma doesn't have you know a, a, an Ohio State, a top ten team on their non conference schedule, I mean, their first three games, their first four games, I mean, this is, I mean, consistently the toughest opening stretch that I can remember, maybe, maybe ever since we've been following this team because of how it's it's cons. Yeah, it's cons- I think it's consistently challenging, as yeah. I would say. I I think you're 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 sort of forgetting some things. So those uh, the years that I had mentioned earlier in this podcast, 2005 and 2009, they played absolutely hellacious schedules to open the season. Both of those years, um, they if you remember in 05, they opened with TCU, who ended up who ended up I think going 11 and one that year. And the next week they played UCLA in the Rose Bowl, and that was a UCLA team that won like 10 games that year. Um, I can't remember who the other two teams they play in the non-conference. Tulsa, I know they played for sure, and well, I mean that's at least one. I mean, sorry to Tulsa, but Tulsa's a cupcake. It's just they're they're never really a team that well they that can compete. They weren't always a cup. Yeah, Yeah. but they were always a a bowl team back in those days. They were a bowl team every year, Um, and so. And also in 2009, Lee, you know, they opened with BYU and who won ten games. Remember, they had to go on the road and play Miami, who. and so it's they've had some tough openings. I think this is a, I think this is a really really good non-conference schedule is because you know you the you play challenging games. You play you play three teams that are potentially going to have elite units, um, offenses. Uh, FAU is going to have an elite offense. UCLA has the capability of having an elite offense because of Chip Kelly. Army is going to be able to run the ball really well because that's what they were able to do last year. They went to a bowl game last year, uh, running the ball really well. So I, I think I think it's consistently going to be challenging, and it helps that everything's at home, and it's it's nice that they don't have to go to Columbus. Um, it, it, it's cool going to Columbus and winning that game, but that's not something that I want to do every single year, at all. All right, what are your Army thoughts? On to game number four, Oklahoma again at home I, against Army should obviously be be favored in this one. That's a game I can already see. What I already know what's going to happen in that game. Army is probably going to run all over the Sooners in the early part of the game. The fan base is going to go nuts. The Sooners will will, will settle in and win by three or four touchdowns, uh, but the damage will be done. People are are going to be are are going to freak out about the run defense after this game. I'm almost certain of. It. <laughs> <laughs> Army led the nation in rushing last season. Uh, however, though. They lose most of their offensive line, which I guess, uh, according to this magazine, is is one of the better offensive lines that Army's ever had in the history of Army. And they also lose their quarterback. I did not know that. Yeah, and they and they also lose their quarterback, Ahmad Bradshaw, who is basically a glorified running back, is based in the Army's I don't know, Lee, offense. Yeah, go. Sure, go into that the preview for Army and look. I, I I did see kind of like this anecdote a week or so ago when I was just reading random things. Didn't Army only attempt like twelve passes last year? <laughs> No, it wasn't twelve. I think it was. Uh, I think it was. Uh, okay, I'll go look. I, the number sixty-three stands out to me. Okay, yeah, I, mean, I know it wasn't twelve. It was like it was like they only threw like three or four passes a game. I think is what it actually was. But for whatever reason, the number twelve just stuck in my mind. And that if if it was actually only twelve, that would just crack me up. Uh, yeah, they don't. They do not throw the football. Uh, 
I'm trying to there, look there over was it. a game last year where they did not even attempt to pass I do know that here we go um, they attempted 65 passes in 27 that's not a lot of passes I, I wouldn't be surprised there was probably what is it in that Remember the the Texas Tech game from two years ago, and Pat Mahomes threw it like seventy five times, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> by himself in one game. Yeah, the uh, the legitimately the the worst college football game that's ever been played in the history of. Like, yeah, that was that was bad. Just uh, it, any, anyway, Lee, it's yeah. I, I think you know Army. A lot of these non conference games, I think, are going to follow the same kind of similar script. Whereas the the OU defense is probably going to get shredded a little bit at times. Um, but I, I really don't think the OU offense is going to have a whole lot of trouble against these teams. Um, just generally, I don't think so. And to your point, Army's defense in 2017 was terrible. Uh, 6.3 yards per play, the Black Knights allowed. Uh, they get seven starters back on defense. And the only offenses that Army faced last season that are somewhat similar in style and, and talent, I guess, to Oklahoma this upcoming year, they faced Ohio State face north texas and also in the bowl game san diego state had a pretty good offense all three of those teams scored a lot of points against army uh, although i will say they did a pretty good job the black knights did against the aztecs in the bowl game holding uh, san diego state to fewer than 300 total yards but uh, rashad penny still got uh, over 200 yards rushing <laughs> and he averaged like 15 yards per carry in the game. Yeah, make 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 no mistake about it. OU is OU is going to do whatever they want against Army on offense. They will. They they will they will be able to run the ball at will in that game. That that's that, that is certainly not really much of a concern for me. Um I, I am concerned about them most likely probably having lots of rushing yards against the OU defense. Um, but you know, and, and until we get there, we'll, we'll, we'll just see what happens. And the last thing on this game that I'll just, I'll, I'll say, and it, it encompasses all other teams here in the first four games, Oklahoma plays, you got, you know, obviously the, you mentioned Oklahoma defense could get shredded in this one and people are going to start talking and getting mad about it before maybe Oklahoma settles down and, and wins by a few touchdowns. But you know, this is the fourth game of the year. Uh, it's, it's going to be frustrating for Oklahoma because they'll have faced Florida Atlantic and UCLA back-to-back, and you mentioned Florida Atlantic's going to have an elite offense. UCLA has the capabilities of having an elite offenses. Both of them are going to be able to score, you'd think. Then they're going to face a little bit more conservative, but I think it's going to be an efficient Iowa State offense, a little different. Then a week later, you got the triple option in Army. So it's just it's all these different looks for the Oklahoma defense, a system, a unit that has been much maligned for the last two years. It's yeah, a and, lot and of points that, are, that's are a going really to be good scored point. probably. That's a really good point, man. You know, a lot of different offenses, and just man, a lot of really a lot of opportunities for Mike Soups to be like, man, I've got we got to be multiple, got to be multiple. So that'll mm-hmm. be fun. Army over under wins according to Vegas seven and a half. By the way, moving on, week five or the fifth game for Oklahoma against Baylor in Norman again. Obviously, Oklahoma should be favored. Uh, Grant, the Bears should obviously be way better this year. They only won once last season and i think that was the kansas game uh charlie brewer the quarterback he started the final four games of 2017 pretty good he was pretty good in those games so baylor essentially has their starting quarterback returning uh only a sophomore in 2018 and uh, it's just when i was kind of looking into baylor it just and i saw this guy charlie brewer it just made me remember like can you believe a guy named zach smith looked like freaking Bryce Petty or I mean like I don't want to say RG3 because they're different types of players but like any he looked like 
uh, well, one of those Baylor system quarterbacks of recent memory that can just throw the ball all around the yard. Did that against Oklahoma. And then you look at Zach Smith's game log the rest of the year, aside from the Oklahoma game, and it's just it's even more embarrassing that Oklahoma gave up that kind of production to that quarterback. I mean, what a ridiculous game that was, even looking back. Like by far, look at his yeah, game yeah, log. I mean, the- and Zach Smith didn't do anything the rest of the season. He had yeah, uh, Lee, I, I, <laughs> he had four touchdowns and no picks against OU. He started the next four games for Baylor before getting benched. He had one touchdown pass and three picks the rest of the season after OU. Gosh. Yeah, Lee, I don't I don't know what to tell you. OU's and and if you've listened to this podcast for a year now, you've this is not the first time you've heard me say this, and I'm just I'll say it one more time. The 2017 Oklahoma defense was atrocious. It was the worst in school history by a long shot. Period. It was really bad, it, and it was so bad that people like Zach Smith were be, were were able to do that to it. Um, let's <laughs> let's just let's 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 really hope that they've made a lot of improvements this year on that side of the ball. That's all I got to say about it. And it seems like Charlie Brewer is is better than Zach Smith, and he's going to have a little bit of experience under his belt too. So, uh, and now you but got anyway, Matt Rule, like, who's got a second year under his belt now, and the, and they're going to be more confident. And I mean. Bears have some of their players back. I remember Chris Platt, that's that track star wide receiver. He's, he'll be back after getting injured. Last, I think he got injured in the OU game. Uh, and he, you know, and they still have Denzel Mims, who looks like he's about seven foot tall out there, getting jump balls. And then the the, the wild card for Baylor is they got uh, Jalen Hurd now. Remember him from Tennessee? Oh, that's right. But he's going to play like tight end though, isn't he? Uh. I think wide wide receiver. Like he was a running back at Tennessee, and I think they're going to try to play him a wide receiver at Baylor. Yeah, I don't know. So hey, you know, I I think Baylor. I think Matt Rule is a good coach. Um, you know, Baylor got hit pretty hard uh, after Bryles after they fired Bryles. Like they they got hurt, you know, quite a bit with attrition and a lot of guys leaving. I, I it's it's going to take them a few years to get back to I think to a respectable level. Um, I think they're going to be better this year for sure. Uh, there's, it's, you know, when you go one and 11, it's hard not to be better, especially when you have a good coach like Matt rule. I, I, I still think they're, 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 they're probably going to be with Kansas in the, in the basement of the conference this year, but they're going to continue getting better. They just, they, they really got, uh, they, 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 they just really got wiped out with, with the Bryle stuff in terms of players and whatnot. And, uh, it, it's, it's going to take a while to build it back up for them. Baylor is, is certainly, certainly not a, not a powerhouse program historically. In fact, historically they're, they're quite a pitiful program, so it's they 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 have quite quite the hill to climb from where they are. I, I think people are people are thinking a little too much about the Bryles era, and this is not the Bryles era. It's going to be very difficult for them to get back to where they were. Yeah, the the Baylor offense I think will be a lot better this year, but the defense last season was atrocious. Uh, six starters are back, but I mean, you know, who knows if that's good or bad. Uh, but I will say this though, Grant uh, Baylor by the time they're playing Oklahoma. The Bears could be 4-0 heading into that game. I mean, I know it's early in the year, but let's, I mean, look at their schedule. They got Abilene Christian, UTSA, who Baylor lost to last year, so revenge game for Baylor, uh, Duke, and then Kansas before playing Oklahoma. I mean, that that could be four wins right there. I'm not sure about they, Duke, yeah. but, I mean, they could be 4-0. We'll see. Or they could be like 2-2, two and two, and then we'll know that they're yeah. probably really bad again. <laughs> you know? So... We'll see, but yeah, you know, I I think they're I I think yeah they're very likely to be better on offense. Um, I other than that, that it's just 
it's it's gonna have to be baby steps for them. And then finally, the last game we're gonna go over again. We're going over the the first six games of Oklahoma schedule here early in June. Next week we'll go over the go over the final six games of Oklahoma schedule. OU Texas in Dallas, of course. Uh, Texas over under win. Oh, by the way, Baylor's over under this year, even though they only won one game a season ago. Vegas has their over under now at six wins. So uh, Vegas expecting a big jump for Baylor in year two under Matt Rule. On to Texas. Uh, Vegas odds set the Longhorns over under at eight and a half wins. And to me, I mean, this is obviously a, this was a tough game for Oklahoma last year because Texas' defense was so good. Now Baker Mayfield's gone. Uh, Texas still can't figure out the quarterback situation. It's going to be Sam Ellinger. It's going to be Shane Bouchelle. Probably going to be Ellinger if I had to bet because he just he looked like he was better of the two. Uh, you know, year two under Tom Herman. Uh, is this going to be the year finally when Texas, when when Texas is back? <laughs> uh, I I don't it, know. It it I, it totally depends on their quarterback situation. Um, you know, I I, I made the comment. I, Ellinger is basically a right-handed, extremely poor man's Tim Tebow, uh, or at least that's that, that's what yeah, he I remember when you like, said that you know, last his year, first yeah. year at Texas. Yeah, um, and I think you know, I I think he's he he's the right fit for that offense, the kind of the the gimmicky Urban Meyer Florida offense, which is what Texas runs. Um, so I, I think he's he's the right fit for that offense. Um, I don't know, Lee. I I think I Texas obviously is there's there there there's tier one in the Big Twelve in terms of talented players, and that is a tier that Oklahoma and Texas have by themselves in the conference, even now. Uh, Texas is the only team in the conference that I think can line up people in front of Oklahoma and say, "Hey, you know, I think, you know, I we're better in some, we're better in a lot of spots than you are." They're the only team that can do that in the Big Twelve. Um, yeah, I, 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 I truly believe I think Texas is Oklahoma's chief competition in the Big Twelve this season, probably uh, them and TCU. Um, and we'll see. This is the red. It's it's the Red River Shootout. Anything can happen in this game. Um, it, this game, as always, scares the crap out of me, and it always will. For whatever, even you know, Texas, the the worst teams they've you know they've had um, in the last decade have have they beat OU. So it's yep. you can never you can never you can never assume anything going into this game, and it's it's Texas. Um, and hey, man, we we all hate Texas. They, I can't stand them. Their colors are incredibly ugly and awful, and their the stupid Texas fight chant is dumb and. Um, it's just, it's they're They really haven't, they haven't really accomplished much as a program in their history, you know, everything about Texas. Yeah. We, but I think, you know, they're unfortunately Tom Herman, I think is probably going to get them back to a, to an elite level. And I, I hope it's not this year and I hope it never happens, but it's going to happen eventually start preparing yourself for it. This year might be the year where they kind of start looking like Texas again, but a lot of people have probably been, you know, a lot of people have been saying that, you know, every year for the last decade. So do I hope that they, that they continue to, to suck and be kind of, you know, lounging around as a program and being in purgatory? Absolutely. I hope that. Uh, but I don't know. I think that might be wishful thinking going forward. Here's a number that um, when you hear it, you'll think, well, I think initially you'll think, wow, but then you're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense that I saw it and I was like, oh my gosh, wow. Like, where's the time gone? You know, the last time. Do you remember the? Can you guess the year the last time Texas won the Big Twelve? Yeah, it was two thousand nine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it's been almost ten years since Texas won the Big Twelve. That's incredible. Yeah, and since then, I think it's 
I was like, can you name the, yeah, since then it's just been OU and Baylor one year. And then I think Kansas state one year and that's been it. Man. Of course, uh, Texas got Calvin Anderson, that grad transfer from Rice that Oklahoma was hoping to get on the offensive line. So that helped out. Yeah, that's a good pickup for them. And they still have uh, some good receivers. But the question is, can Sam Ellinger, Shane Bouchel, get him the football? I mean, isn't Tom Herman Herman supposed to be known for his offense? Isn't he an offensive kind of guy? Yes. Yes. I'm looking at – he's not – I'm looking. I'm looking at this. Uh, you know, offensive. Co- they have two offensive coordinators, Tim Beck and Herb Hand. So I guess maybe Tom Herman's kind of like the head coach, and those. And he. I don't know who calls the plays or what. And of course, Todd Orlando. Well, Tim, DC. Tim Beck. Tim Beck calls the plays. Herb Hand is the offensive line coach. They just hired him from Auburn. Okay. Um. So yeah, and and yeah, Lee. I, I don't actually have it right in front of me, but I do know. Last year, the Texas was in the 100s last year in S and P offense, so their offense was atrocious last year. Um, yeah, uh, if, yeah. I mean, it, it's all about their offense. Oh, Texas played championship level defense last year. I love the way that they play defense. I, I wish OU played defense like that. Um, yeah, me too. But you know, as 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 you know, if they pair a top 50 offense with that defense, I mean, they're that's a 10 win team. And it pains me to say it, but it's true. Well, we have gone uh, pretty long on this podcast. Grant and I kind of assumed that we would go long. I know we t- we tease the hot take of the week segment. Uh, we have multiple hot takes to go through. Um, however, we're going to punt that to next week's show to go along with the final six games uh, of Oklahoma's schedule just because we don't want you guys to have to download a three-hour podcast Uh, this one already is going to be an hour and a half or longer which is a lot longer we like to go but since we haven't had one in in weeks we hope that you're cool with it being a little longer than usual so we'll do the hot take of the week segment along with the other six games of OU schedule next week so that is our show again no need to worry we'll be back next week to finish up our game by game early look at the Sooner schedule plus we'll talk Kyler Murray in the hot take of the week segment plus a few hot takes on Baker Mayfield with the Browns in OTA. So make sure to look out for a new West of Everest episode next Wednesday. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.